Thank you, mate. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm a great believer in Christian youth camps, although as I sort of was watching those, the video, I thought, oh my goodness, it's a long time since I was, could, could get into all of those kind of activities, of course. But um, I did, they just are life-changing experiences for young people, and I still actually do go on um, some camps. So we have a weekend one we do from our school, and I just encourage you, if you've got young people, um, I was a couple of weeks ago, I was here and left church pretty quickly after this service to go up to the baptism of the 14-year-old son of a friend of mine who'd been one of my right-hand ladies on those Majimba Beach camps and uh, just all three of her kids now have been baptised in the last year or two Just uh, the, the and, and all, all three of them have a testimony about how a camp, a Christian camp of some sort, a scripture union camp or another sort of camp has touched their lives. So yes, that's great and it goes back beyond that. I became a Christian on a Christian camp and went on them with Leanne over here for a while. Um, and in case you're worried about my hand, I didn't punch a wall or a student as somebody suggested. Um, but I've just had some minor surgery um, on, my, on my hand last week. Um, but it's good to be back. Um, I hope you might have noticed that I was missing for a few months there. Hopefully you noticed. Um, but I had that wonderful thing they call long service leave, um, which uh, if you hung around a particular organisation long enough, you get. And I've been fortunate enough to have it three times in my life. I was just talking to Charles in the break and saying that it's, it really is good to have that extended break away from your normal life. Um, it's a chance to reflect uh, both in a work sense, but also just in a life sense as well too. And uh, when Josh discovered I was back in Brisbane, I got a nice email saying, you know, would you like to come and preach sometime? Bit of a break in the, the, the train of uh, thought with Revelation and uh, maybe just share something that, that, uh, that you've, from your long service leave. And I thought, yes, I did learn well, I am in the process of learning a very important lesson in my long service leave. Uh, whoops, where are we? I think that's the end. Can we go back to the beginning? Yeah. Yeah, one before that, perhaps. There we go. That's exciting. You got the whole thing in one go. Whoa, there we go. Excellent. But yes, I, uh, I had three months long service leave, that, um, that, that wonderful, wonderful thing called long service leave. But just before I talk about that, I want to talk about, uh, well, it was a lesson, I suppose, that I, that I learnt, a lesson that I learnt on my long service leave, which I want to share about today. And I, I call it a lesson being learnt because it's like an ongoing thing for me. It's a, a never-ending one, this particular one. But um, I want to start off by introducing it by talking a little bit about what it means to be an evangelical Christian. And I suppose the term evangelical Christian is a little bit on the nose in the world at the moment um, due to the action of an unfortunate and unhelpful minorities out there, a bit like the term born-again Christian was a few decades ago. But in actual fact, the evangelical movement began in the 18th century in Britain and the United States as a revitalisation of Protestantism. And the hallmarks traditionally are those four wonderful things about our faith, the authority of the Bible, the centrality of Jesus' death on the cross, the need for a personal conversion, and the importance of Christian faith outworked in everyday life. And I guess to me, as I, as I sort of think back over those, it, it's certainly the focus on the gospel as revealed to us in God's word, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, his death on the cross for our sin, is absolutely central to being a Christian. The need for that personal response to God, the need for that change. It's no use just being baptised, it's no use just coming to church. We need that personal encounter with God, that personal conversion. And then the importance of Christian faith outworked in everyday life. The fact that our Christian faith is not just a set of beliefs that we believe, um, but it is actually a living faith that works itself out in every parts of our, of our lives. And as part of that, I suppose, for we as evangelical, charismatic, Pentecostal Christians, um, sometimes 
Yeah, well, we believe that God speaks to us. We believe in an interventionist God who is interested in every part of our lives. And, you know, sometimes God speaks to us in ways that we just can't ignore. I have a, a number of friends who are, I, I think are very gifted in being very sensitive to what God is saying. I really admire that gift. Um, I'm someone who sort of probably needs it bashed into my skull a bit more, so to speak. So God has to speak pretty loudly if, he, if he's going to get through to me. And uh, I just want to share a bit of a story about something that happened right at the beginning of my long service. Service leave, which became the theme um, of my long service leave. Uh, I was, uh, you might remember, right back to the June-July holidays, and uh, we were building up to a bit of a lockdown. There was a bit of a three-day lockdown towards the end of June, you might remember. I was actually still at work, um, getting things tidied up because it had been a busy end of term, and, uh, and, and also handing over to the four people who replaced me while I was on long service leave. Um, getting ready to hand over to them, different parts of my job. Um, and so I was working in the office and I actually got to catch up on quite a few things and uh, I caught up on a bit of professional reading. And one of the um, uh, publications I receive online is a thing called Ethos Engage, which comes from uh, evangelical community down in, in Victoria, really. And uh, so I was reading some of those articles. They tend to be fairly lengthy at times, as Victorians are. But um, I, I sort of was, was... But there was a number of articles there about the pandemic and I thought, oh, you know, I'm a little bit... Bit, got a bit of pandemic fatigue, you know, when it comes to reading about things and thinking about things and talking about things. But I thought, oh, look, I'll read a couple of these. And I picked one of the shorter ones, which was called Reflections. And the author had particularly uh, good phraseology. And he used this phrase uh, in, as he's talking about the pandemic. He said, the pandemic has led to the unmasking of our false sense of mastery and autonomy. The unmasking of our false sense of mastery and autonomy. And I really felt convicted when I read that. I thought, yep, that is me. I am so full of my sense of mastery and autonomy over my life. Uh, and the pandemic is certainly um, has threatened at different times to, to bring that very much undone. Um, I don't like my plans interfered with. I like to think that I can plan my life um, and that things go ahead. I don't think I'm a control freak. I'm not quite a control freak. But I certainly like my ducks to be in a row. Anyway, I'd read that article and, uh, and about the next day, I think, uh, uh, and Asia announced that we were having a, a lockdown and I'm, I'm in at work in at South Brisbane, hardly anybody else there by then, it's the middle week of our three weeks of holiday and I'm thinking I don't want to be stuck in Brisbane for a lockdown so I sort of shot up the Sunshine Coast to do my last few days of working from home in a pleasant environment and uh, anyway I was still thinking about this um, article I'd read and I was catching up with a friend Friday night which was the beginning of my holiday really, the end of the working week, um, I was having dinner with this friend, I went over to her and place and I was sharing with her a bit about this article that I'd read and <clears throat> that particular phrase that had really struck me. And uh, she'd said to me, um, she said, look, I've got a couple coming over uh, for dinner, if you don't mind joining us, an older couple. You know, they're actually her landlords and they're from up from Brisbane and a uh, lovely older Christian couple. And so she said, do you mind if they join us for dinner? I said, no, that's absolutely fine. So we all sat down to dinner and we're chatting away. They were very easy to talk with. And uh, anyway, after a while, I must have mentioned something about reading these really interesting articles in, in Ethos. And, uh, and the fellow said, oh, he said, did you read my article? And I said, um, well, which one was yours? And he said, oh, it was called Reflections. And I said, oh, I, is that the one where it talks about the unmasking of our false sense of mastery and autonomy? He said, oh, yes, I'm very impressed that you remember the words, exactly. And so there we were having dinner with the actual author of the article. So at that moment, I thought, yes, I think I need to pay attention to that. 
Uh, and so as um, the next three months unfolded um, and my plans unravelled <laughs> for my long service leave, it was always good to go back to that and think this was not an accident. God knew that was going to happen. Uh, so what well, originally my, a friend and I were going to be travelling, it was going to be last year and we were going to actually go to North America to some of the national parks in the West Coast. And uh, anyway, that sort of all fell apart, of course. And then we thought at the end of last year when we were once again lulled into a false sense of security and we thought we had this virus beaten we thought well, well that's great we'll hire a camper van and we'll go from Darwin to Perth and we'll see all the lovely things between Darwin and Perth but of course then Western Australia became Fort Knox and uh, nobody got in um, and we were literally up to plan F when we finally took off um, in my car with a tent thrown in the back and neither of us are campers um, some some comfortable sleeping no, no stove or anything we were cafe campers but um, and we had a, an absolutely delightful um, delightful holiday between here and Cooktown and back and uh, had the most beautiful time I'll just sort of give you a few brag shots Queensland is lovely you know there's so many national parks and um, beautiful beaches and and beautiful things to see along the way we really did have a, a fabulous time that's Whitehaven Beach at the Whit Sundays just absolutely wonderful the places that we visited and we, we felt very blessed lots of beautiful wildlife paddy melons at uh, Cape Trib and koalas on uh, where were we um, I said island off Townsville, Magnetic Island, and then and, and uh, Cassowary up in um, the Daintree Rainforest with his three little chicks, and and then to my delight for the first time ever a platypus in the wild. I'd never seen one in the wild before up at Yungala, um, just out from Mackay. So we had a wonderful time. So I had a lovely holiday. But I want to um, explore this idea because it's a lesson that I feel I have to keep learning um, as, as one of God's people. You know, um, this idea of, of the mask, unmasking of the mastery and autonomy that I think I have in my life, that false sense. Because really we're not as in control as we think we are. So mastery, the word means a comprehensive knowledge or skill in a particular subject or activity, uh, dominion over something. Now that is mastery. You know, we've got this. We're on top of this. We really know what's going on. Who are we kidding? What do we have dominion of, really? You know, so many things can happen that are unexpected, so much in our lives that we're just not in control of. So really, we don't have much in the way of mastery. What about autonomy? Well, autonomy is um, defined as the quality or state of being self-governing, self-directing freedom. And again, we all love that sense of freedom. You, you probably remember back to when you first got your licence, you know, and that first time you got to drive in the car without mum and dad. I think I can remember that. It's just that sense of freedom or something happens and, you know, that's the beginning of the holidays or it's the end of the working week or it's the whatever, the kids are off with grandma. Um, you know, you've got that sense of autonomy, that sense of freedom. We like to be self-governing. We like to direct our own lives. But again, who are we kidding? Because our whole faith, our whole Christian life is about submission to the will of God, isn't it? It's not about autonomy. It's about submission to the will of God and following Jesus as his disciples. So that sense of autonomy really is um, a, a, a thing that needs to be unmasked as well too. So instead, perhaps we come to this verse, this wonderful verse in Proverbs. Proverbs 19.21. People may plan all kinds of things, but the Lord's will is going to be done. And ultimately in our lives, we have to come to terms with that, don't we? 
And, and many of us have had things happen, um, significant things in our own lives, in our family, something that happens that really just puts a complete spanner in the works of how we thought our lives were going and where we were heading. You suddenly lose a job, suddenly have a bad diagnosis, um, somebody gets sick. Uh, you know, these, these things can really derail us. But if we realise that we really aren't in control of our lives, that really it is the Lord that, whose will is going to be done, we can learn perhaps to roll with that a bit. And uh, I think I learned a bit about that um, on my long service leave. I hope uh, I, can, uh, I can learn more. I guess um, the more we think we can control everything we discover that we can't, the worse the reaction. And I, I work in an environment it's at the school I'm at where the people are uh, wealthy enough and uh, in those sort of positions in their lives where very often they really think they can control everything. And so when you see the grief and distress when something unexpected happens, I know in my community, uh, it takes people a long time to come to terms with that. Um, particularly the really serious things, a, a serious diagnosis, a, an unexpected death of someone. And uh, I just, you know, working with people who are struggling with that years down the track, part of it is that they really thought they were in control of their lives. They really thought they had that mastery and autonomy over everything. But it just, it just doesn't work. Uh, while I was away, um, uh, the associate chaplain who took my role had to deal with an, another very sad situation where one of our little pre-prep girls at age four sadly passed away, uh, having had a major seizure. And, and uh, it's, it's incredibly tragic. The family were a Christian, and the contrast with how they've dealt with that is quite significant. You know? And it's, uh, it, it, even now, the father in that family is already saying, if this ever happens to another family, we would be willing to talk with them if that would help. And to come to that point within three months of having lost a child is extraordinary. And the, the staff who went along to the funeral at their church, um, one of the Chinese churches on the south side, were absolutely amazed. They said, this is, this is faith, this is real faith. So it makes such a difference when we know that God is in control and somehow, even in the worst of circumstances, if we can hold on to that, uh, it makes all the difference in the world. The dominant worldview in the West is a very humanistic worldview uh, where humans are at the top of the evolutionary pyramid. Uh, we can control our own destiny. We can pretty much control everything in our lives. We've got science, we've got medicine, we've got all those kind of things and, and really we're the ones that are running things. Um, but, you know, it just doesn't fit with our lived reality and I guess this little virus has shown us that two years in a row now uh, that, and the brokenness and the randomness of life is just far too complex to think that we have anywhere near that sort of level of control. And the options are to accept the randomness in a sort of fatalistic way. Oh, well, you know, life is what happens when I'm making other plans or it is what it is. Um, or to trust that somehow, in a more positive sense, God is working through all the things that happen, uh, the good and the bad. And it's very difficult. I don't make light of that. Um, very difficult to believe that God is working through the bad things that are happening. Um, but but we, trust that he, we try to trust that he is. I want to give you a little bit of a case study just um, uh, as, a, as a, a biblical focus in this, and, and that is the, the case of King Saul, uh, a very complex character, I, I believe. King Saul was the, Israel's first king. They were never meant to have a king. They were meant to be a theocracy. They had God, but instead they demanded a king to be like the other nations around them. And so God, through Samuel, who was the prophet, 
the holy man of the time, chose uh, Saul to be the king. He looked like a great choice, head and shoulders above everyone else, big, tall, strong, strapping man. But I just love the story, if you ever read it, back in 1 Samuel 10, I think it is, uh, at his coronation. Samuel has already been to Saul and told him that he is going to be the king. So he already knows this is going to happen. But to make it, um, you know, to do it the way, according to proper procedures, they gather everyone together, uh, the nation together, and then they choose by lot, you know, this tribe, okay, it's going to be this tribe, this clan yes this family and this man Saul Saul where's Saul that particular time at his coronation Saul we're told in 1 Samuel 10 was hiding behind the baggage that's literally what it says Um, and so you have this uh, amazing contrast this big bold brave sort of leader um, and then he's hiding behind the baggage when the moment comes for his coronation at times, Saul could be incredibly gracious just after he was crowned king. Um, it was suggested that perhaps those who, people who'd spoken against him should all be put to death. But um, Saul said, no. See, you can't control anything, can you? <laughs> Saul, uh, Saul said, no, let's be gracious, let's forgive them. Let's, uh, it's all done now and, and it'll be fine. Um, and then later, though, you have Saul being insanely jealous of David after God had rejected Saul as king and, and anointed David instead. So you've got this you know, incredibly gracious but then insanely jealous. Um, but the first thing that Saul does that gets himself out of favour with God is an interesting story. And I just want us to read through that today. So I'll read it for you. It says, The Philistines mustered to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped at Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. I should say that about some time before this, we read in, back in, in chapter 10 again, that Samuel had said to Saul, when you face up for the battle, wait seven days and I will come and I will offer the sacrifice and then you'll go into battle and you'll have the victory. Right? So that's the background. But here they are, the Philistines are a massive army, very, very impressive, and the people are starting to hide and, and to melt away. So Saul waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he'd finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Mishmash, I said, well, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favour of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. 
As I read through this, I had a real sense of conviction that this is a very easy trap to fall into, and certainly one for me as well. You know, you, you know what God has said, you know what the commands are, you know what you're supposed to do, you're faced with a circumstance, everything's happening, you're the leader, you know, and, and you just sort of sometimes you, you, you go ahead and you do the wrong thing. And I think this is what Saul has done here. I want to suggest to you that there are basically three things he did wrong. Uh, the first thing he did was that he reacted to the circumstances instead of sticking to what he knew were the correct procedures for sacrifices. He was the king. It wasn't his business to make sacrifices. That was the job of the prophet or the priest. But he reacted to the circumstances. Uh, the Philistines are scary. This massive army is there. The people are starting to melt away. Um, Samuel is running late. Um, so he reacted to the circumstances instead of remembering what Samuel had told him and obeying what God had said through Samuel, because Samuel was the one who spoke God's word. The second thing I think Saul did wrong was that he responded out of his own anxiety and impatience instead of out of faith in what God could do. You know, again, he's thinking the people are leaving, we'll lose the battle because we don't have enough people. So he's got this anxiety happening um, and impatient to get things going because it looks like you know, things are going backwards just at the moment. Um, so instead of um, reminding himself that Samuel had told him to wait, to wait to, for him to come and to lead the sacrifice, therefore I'll wait. So instead of reacting out of um, faith, he reacts out of anxiety. Um, so that's, that's the second thing that I think he does wrong. He responds out of anxiety instead of out of faith. And the third thing I think is something that we're all inclined to do at times. He took things into his own hands and he did it his way instead of God's way. And I know that that is a, a, a challenge for me often as well too, to take things into my own hands, to think I know better. Um, it's better to, if I lead the sacrifice, he's thinking to himself, even if I'm not the priest, than to wait any longer for Samuel to get here and then we'll lose more people and we'll probably lose the battle. Instead of again trusting that God's way was the correct way. And I think those three things tell us something about uh, a reaction we can have uh, when we still have that sense of wanting to be in control of our lives when really we have to hand it over to what, to what God wants. And after this incident, things got really bad, of course, and uh, we end up with a paranoid King Saul trying to kill David, you know, uh, who the Lord had revealed as the replacement for Saul as the next king. And as we reflect on the life of a character like Saul, I guess we, one of the lessons is how easy it is for things to unravel very badly you know, when you start to just do things your own way, take things into your own hands, react to circumstances instead of obedience to what God says, responding out of anxiety and these kind of negative feelings instead of out of faith, taking things into our own hands and thinking that we know better. Uh, it, it is just so easy for things to start to unravel very badly. So the challenge I lead us, leave us with today, and it certainly comes back again to, to, to me and this message that has been a theme in the last three months, the unmasking of my false sense of mastery and autonomy. You know, are we living our lives thinking we have mastery and autonomy or are we living a life of obedience to God's word and faith in what he will do? Because those are the two things we need instead of mastery and autonomy. We don't need to be in control of our circumstances. We don't need to be free to choose to do what we want and go where we want. We need to be obedient to what we know God tells us to do and wants us to do. And we need to act in faith, whatever the circumstances. 
and uh, I was I was at, went went on a sort of an online gospel coalition conference last weekend, and just hearing some of the speakers reflecting on how hard the last two years have been for churches, and I really give thanks to God for the leadership of this church and the way they have managed a very very difficult two years in terms of keeping us together as a church. It's a tough time. And on top of that, you've just got this absolutely relentless pushback against Christian values and Christian standards and, and how God tells us we should live. And I've come back to school and already there's two or three major issues I've got to sort out, you know, where, where people are taking offence at something that's been said in one of our Christian education classes or whatever. And, you know, it's just this constant pushback and a constant battle. How am I going to react? Am I going to think that this is really up to me to solve or am I going to think, no, I'm going to obey what God's word says. I'm not going to compromise um, and I'm going to act in faith. And if I do that, if we do that, that's when we will see God at work. That's when we will see just way bigger than we can ever imagine when those armies arrayed against us of 30,000 and more um, will mean nothing because God is with us and we're acting in obedience and faith. And I encourage us today to do that as we lead into communion now. Thanks, Josh.